This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. All right. I clicked it a little aggressively. It's going to be an exciting episode talking about the fear of the Lord. Uh, something not talked about much. Uh, you guys stay tuned. It's going to be an exciting episode. Don't be afraid. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. An exciting episode today, talking about the fear of the Lord. If you haven't tuned into Remnant Radio before, I just want to let you guys know we are an entirely crowdfunded ministry. Uh, if you've been blessed by this episode or other episodes we've done, you can go check out the links of the description. Uh, we've got lots of content down there. You can check out our PayPal, give one-time place. You can give on Patreon. Uh, as low as five bucks a month, you can support us here on Remnant Radio and be a part of our book club as we're going through the knowledge of the holy book. Uh, or uh, other ways that you can contribute are is the Mark series that we just released with Dr. Craig Keener. We're releasing an episode every single uh, Tuesday with Dr. Keener going through the Gospel of Mark. We have an outline for a home group if you want to go through that as well. It's going to be really cool. Michael, what do we have to look forward to today? Yeah, so we're talking about the fear of the Lord. So I want to give you guys a little sort of table of contents for uh, for the day. Uh, for this episode, and then uh, and then we'll just begin to walk through it. But um, first of all, what I mean, we're really trying to arrive at what is the fear of the Lord, and uh, and so we'll we'll look at just kind of our our culture, and particularly Christian culture. Why does it seem like the fear of the Lord has fallen on hard times? Why why is this not talked about as much? What's going on? Um, we'll, we'll look at uh, is it a fear of God's judgment, and and uh, some verses that seem to make it seem like maybe we aren't supposed to fear the Lord, and. Um, uh, is this an Old Testament concept or only, or is it a New Testament concept too? Uh, is it the same thing as reverence? A lot of people say, well, it just means reverence or respect. Is it the same thing or is it just similar? Uh, we'll, we'll look at, uh, C.S. Lewis has some commentary on what he calls the numinous. He didn't make up that word, but, uh, if you don't know what that word is, you will find out in this episode and it has great relevance for the fear of the Lord. And, uh, and by about that point, we'll begin to arrive at our definition. Yeah, so we're going to do a really great job of circling the topic of the fear of the Lord until we come to a conclusion. <laughs> well, ha, ha, ha. It, it's, it's kind of important that we define what it is, what it's not, why we're talking about it as we discuss the fear of the Lord, because there's just a lot of opinions. And, and frankly, with a subject that is as vast as the fear of the Lord, you can come to tons of different conclusions. Uh, we would just encourage you as you're reading this or watching this, uh, if you want to do this study on your own, just type in fear of the Lord under blue letter Bible or some kind of Bible app and just cross reference all of the times that fear of the Lord is mentioned. And you'll, you'll look at, wow, fear here is defined that way. Fear of the Lord is defined over here like this. And, and, and man, 
we're supposed to fear God, and other times we're not supposed subject. to. And, and it'll, it'll start defining boundaries of what, what's too far on every side and every spot. Or they could just watch Remnant Radio and we'll, we'll tell them. Or we could just tell you what to think. <laughs> There's nothing ever gone wrong <laughs> with a couple you. of internet gurus telling you what to think about <laughs> well, the Bible. Well, that's what I thought you were saying at first. Just Google it and you'll find out what the fear of the Lord is. But no, you're talking about in Bible I'm actually saying, I'm saying like do a word study. Okay, yeah. there you go. Yeah. So <laughs> why, why, means, why are we Google talking it. about it, Michael? Okay, well, Why are we talking about it? Okay, so I, I said a minute ago that the fear of the Lord has fallen on hard times. That's right. Right? So, uh, you know, we've been talking about how I've been preaching through Ephesians. And uh, and there's one verse in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5.21, uh, where it talks about submitting to one another out of fear of Christ. Now, that's the direct translation. Mm-hmm. But most translations will render it, uh, fear of Christ, they'll render it uh, reverence for Christ. And so you don't really capture that the fear of Christ of Ephesians 5.21 is actually governing what submission is to look like and all, uh, or, and really like the motivation for, for submission in, uh, in our earthly relationships, that our submission in earthly relationships actually springs from our fear of the Lord hmm. with, the, with Christ being the Lord. But you don't really pick it up. But, you know, in the English Standard Version, uh, uh, the standard I preach from and I, and I love, and uh, even they translate it as reverence for Christ there. And it's not the only one. Uh, here's another verse. So 2 Corinthians 7, 1, because I've heard people say to me, well, the New Testament doesn't talk about fearing God, which, of course, is completely not true. Yeah. But uh, here's one verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. This is the NIV, New International Version. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for hmm. God. And so... The question is, is the fear of God the exact same thing as the reverence of God so that this is actually a fair translation, or are we actually missing out on something when we use the word reverence? And so that's one of the questions that we want to tackle today. And uh, But I think the fact that it's even in our Bible translation kind of uh, reveals the fact that when it comes to the fear of God, we as New Covenant Christians can be kind of uncomfortable talking about it. Yeah, there's a there's an interesting video, and I'm circling around to fear the Lord uh, about uh, slave or bond servant in the ESV. And Wayne Grudem is in the panel of guys translating the ESV, and he goes, "You know, I think we should really go with bond servant here, guys, because slave in the West has this like shackle law kind of mm-hmm. like mentality. When was that really what was going on in the first century?" Bondservant has a kind of novelty to the language that's foreign to our Western ears that requires people to go back and look up what this means um, and, and how it was actually being practiced then and what it was actually, you know, relating to our relationship with Christ. We're bondservants of Christ. For slaves of Christ, it just it's it seems like our relationship with God is is twisted and warped because of the shackle laws and, and what we perceive slavery to be mm-hmm. historically forever. So um, I wonder if the choosing of reverence here, because of the way fear is used in our modern vocabulary, mm-hmm. uh, like talking about governments, when you talk about fearing the king, that sounds tyrannical because of we're yeah, the that's West. A, that's a that's a good illustration of it with the with the word bonzer because when we think of the word fear, it's almost always a negative connotation. That's right. But in the biblical author's mindset, it was not always a negative connotation. And it really shouldn't be for us. I mean, it's actually appropriate for you to fear a rattlesnake, right? Like like if a rattlesnake was in your bed and you were like, fiddly D, I'm just going to roll over and not worry about it. No. First of all, if you're saying fiddly D, <laughs> stop that mess right now. 
It is ridiculous. It is not real tongues. You should stop. <laughs> real tongues. <laughs> Sorry, I had to sneak that in there. <laughs> oh my goodness. So uh, anyway, so now I've completely lost my. I apologize. Help, help real, real, real faith. Uh, not real faith. Real fear yeah, of the so, rattlesnake. Right. Well, I think where we were going with it was that that fear in its proper context can be a good thing. Okay. So, uh, but. Really what we want to come uh, come back to and just kind of teeing up this conversation about the fear of the Lord is it's it's been in the, the Bible translations, not every time, but oftentimes as reverence instead yeah. of fear. And when we hear preachers talk about it, uh, well, first of all, we just hear them talk about it less, I think, because it was a massive principle in the Old Testament. And then when we get into the New Testament, it's actually still quite prevalent yeah. and we'll uh, we'll talk about that today. But there's we really want to come after this idea that in the Old Testament, you were supposed to fear God because, you know, God was big, mean, and angry. But now we've ner- we've learned that, that God is a, a soft care bear in the sky, and he's just a cuddly, lovey Santa Claus grandpa figure. <laughs> I'm going to keep going until you just... Okay, you yeah, yeah, until I cut the camera. Um, so, uh, and, and what, you, what you mean by that is that we believe that the whole Bible is a unified story that is Amen. cohesively telling the same message over and over yep. again. God's nature hasn't changed. His character hasn't been redefined. Uh, but it's also really important that when we hear fear of the Lord, that is a phrase that is used in sequence throughout the scriptures. So think of fear of the Lord as an idea and not as three separate words, fearing God, or two separate words, fearing God. Fear of the Lord is actually four words. So I tried, I, got, I was wrong no matter how I, how I numbered it. So um, uh, fearing God and fear of the Lord, that is a phrase that is theologically defined. And we're going to try to do our best by showing when you go too far, that you're not getting the fear of the Lord correct. Mm-hmm. So we want to define that. Um, I think Revelation is a good place to start. Yeah. Jump in there. Okay. Well, um, I mean, we said a minute ago that the New Testament is full of verses about uh, fearing God. Now, I've already quoted two of them, even though a lot of translations will render it as uh, reverence. But Second Corinthians seven one, Ephesians five twenty one, uh, another one that I haven't quoted, Acts nine. I want to say around verse thirty one or so, it says the churches grew in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's right, yeah. I love that balance. There. It's after like bad deliverance, isn't it? <laughs> like in 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 nine, they had like. Wasn't that the sons of Sceva had the demons? Ah, uh, that'd be nineteen. Beat the trash out of them. Well, in that in that passage, it talks about the fear of the Lord gripped people. And yeah, then, it and does they say grew. they were. It does say that like several times. Luke will Luke will especially point out that people were afraid after a powerful miracle or something okay. happens. Excellent. Yeah. Keep going. Anyway, so uh, but that does that is going to be relevant when we talk about the numinous and when we talk about awe. Okay, but we'll come back to that. Uh, Revelation eleven eighteen: The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the ju- the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So apparently, the final judgment, in some measure, is determined by whether or not we fear the Lord, because that's what that verse is about. It's about the uh, the judgment. It's about the end of time. The nations raged, but we. The servants of the Lord, we feared the Lord, so we were going to be okay and rewarded. Uh, chapter 14, verse 7, And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. And in the context of that verse, uh, it's actually the, an angel proclaiming the eternal gospel. So fearing God is apparently part of the gospel. Okay, uh, chapter 15, verse 4, uh, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, 
a righteous your righteous acts have been revealed so that's the saints around the sea of glass after passing through the second exodus and uh and and celebrating their victory over the beast so uh how were they victorious over the beast they didn't fear the beast they feared god uh chapter 19 verse 5 and from the throne came a voice saying praise our god all you his servants who fear him small and great so all these exhortations uh, or celebrations in the context of fearing God. Which is super odd because really early on in the chapter, you have John fearing God and then someone say, hey, do not fear. And then it's like, <laughs> make up your mind, guys. Is it do not fear <laughs> or fear a lot and yeah. regularly and thoroughly? Yeah, you see the same kind of thing in, and it just captures the broad sense in which the biblical authors use the word fear. That's right. And, and we'll get to this verse probably some more later, but in uh, Exodus 20 and the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, and you have these massive theophanies and trumpets sound and dark clouds and peals of thunder. And I mean, a terrifying scene and the voice of the Lord is speaking and people are, you know, they're terrified. And that, and then Exodus twenty twenty, it says, "Fear not." This happens so that the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. Yeah, yeah, and that's right here, Revelation one seventeen. Uh, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, "Fear not, I am the first and the last." This wasn't an angel. This is Jesus uh, saying, "Don't fear," but it's kind of that he's afraid of Jesus in this encounter. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Right. So what we're getting at is there's a right kind of fear of God and right. there's a wrong kind of fear That's of right. God. And so we have to kind of parse that out. And so I think one of the questions we want to address, Josh, is, is the fear of God the same thing as fearing God's judgment? Is that the exact same thing? That, uh, okay, so the, 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 the common verse that we run to very first is in 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 8, 1 John 4, 8. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear, for fear has uh, to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So this seems to suggest that fear can be the fear of judgment, the fear of punishment, the fear of uh, uh, of God's wrath abiding on us. And John is writing to his, his readers saying, hey guys, you need to have some measure of assurance. Mm-hmm. Love God, have faith in God, trust God, and you don't, you don't need to have fear. But again, this is the same John who wrote Revelation, who keeps saying, hey guys, you should fear. So there is, again, this kind of balance that we find ourselves in. Uh, Is the fear of God, the fear of God's judgment? Um, You've got this verse in Proverbs. I don't know if you want to read some of your verses in Proverbs. I I do, but but before we do, I think that like a good contrast uh, with 1 John 4.18, because if if anyone is going to say, hey, the fear of God is an Old Testament concept, they're going to go to 1 John 4.18. For sure. The verse that you just read that says perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment. So we have a God of love. We're invited to a loving relationship. Love and fear are complete opposites. They're going to talk like that. But of course, we've already noted that the same author and church tradition has said that John the Apostle was the author of Revelation. And uh, and so we have the same author saying, fear God, fear God, fear God, fear God, fear God, over and over again in the book of Revelation. So uh, if church tradition is true that John wrote Revelation, that would that would show that, that there's room in John's mind for both fear not and fear Certainly. at the exact same time. But the verse I was going to point us to, um, because when we talk about judgment, it, uh, is we could go to Matthew 10, 28 or Luke 12, verses uh, 4 to 5. Yep. I'll read those, Josh, and um, I see you nodding your head over there. I think you have some thoughts about them, but um, yeah. But uh, let me just let me just read uh, Matthew ten twenty eight because I think it'll really 
um, set these two scriptures uh, side by side so that we can determine uh, these two different kinds of fear. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so Matthew ten twenty eight, he says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So maybe I could pose it as a question while yeah. you're laughing. It's just, it's just so funny because if you read these verses, it, it's it's the reason that we need people to take the whole context of the scriptures because that First John four eighteen and Matthew ten twenty eight could not look more <laughs> opposite. completely opposite outside of their context. Right. And, and who they were written to and why they were written. Yeah, okay. So why are they not opposite? How do you harmonize these? Um, I typically, anytime that you have a passage like that, when someone brings you two passages that look completely contradictory, you go, let's read everything around it to make sure that <laughs> it's saying what you think it says. Uh-huh. Um, so it's funny, in Matthew uh, chapter 10, uh, we have verse 28 that you read, but we also have verse 31 that I think that contrasts it. Um, so he says, and, and do not fear those, you know, uh, who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell, uh, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, uh, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head have been numbered. Fear not, therefore. What? You just told me fear God. And now you're telling me fear not, therefore. Uh, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny uh, before my Father in heaven, or my, my Father who is in heaven. So in, in this verse, or these verses, collection of verses, he does seem to suggest there are two kinds of fear. You can fear God, um, and you should fear God, because he tosses jokers in hell, um, or you can fear men, or the devil right? Mm -hmm. These are your options here. Um, you can't fear both. You only get to fear one. And if you do fear God, you should not fear his judgment, mm -hmm. right? But Which if is you... why he says, after it says right. fear him, he says, fear not, therefore you are more valuable than many sparrows. In other words, he's not going to cast his children into hell. That's right. He's going to take care of you. Uh, and so if you fear the Lord, you don't have to fear his judgment, okay? And so uh, in that sense, it actually harmonizes with 1 John 4. Agreed. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment. As children of God, we don't have to fear the judgment of God. John 5 will also say this because uh, there is no judgment for you. You have passed from death into life, okay? Now, again, there, there's a whole like bunny trail we could get down on like it doesn't mean that we're not going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have our lives weighed and uh and, and you know God is going to judge us but he's not going to judge us once you've placed your faith in Jesus he's not going to be like well maybe I'll throw my kid in hell now that's right it's it's not that kind of it's a judgment to determine your degree of reward and it seems as if Jude 1 uh 23 also speaks to this right uh snatching some out of the fire how do we snatch them out of the, the fire to uh, to others we show uh, uh mercy with fear hating even the garment uh stained by the flesh right so this idea that uh the mode by which uh gospel preaching takes place mm -hmm. uh, is that there is an emphasis on the wrath of God Mm -hmm. The wrath of God abides on you if you are in fear, if you are in sin, if you're living in sin and you don't haven't repented of your sin, you don't have faith in Jesus, you have the wrath of God abiding on you. And, and we have to show mercy to those and be like, dude, the wrath of God's on you, man. You got to turn, you got to repent and believe. That's, that's why I love where Revelation 14 actually includes in, in the proclamation of the eternal gospel, it includes 
fear God because the hour of judgment is coming. Because I think that in the West, we've turned the gospel into this self-help thing of like, well, the gospel is your life is already, you know, it's good, but it can be a little better if you just add Jesus in. That is so not the gospel. The gospel is you are an object of wrath. wrath, Okay. You are by nature an object of wrath. And if you want Christ to make you alive, repent and believe, fear God and give him glory and Jesus will come into your life and then you will have no judgment to fear. That's right. But, uh, but if, uh, if you have not made that decision to fear the Lord, to trust Christ, to repent of your sins. And these are all kind of different ways of saying about the same thing. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, then yes, you should fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. And this is one of the areas that we want to encourage people when it comes to Bible study, um, because there will be people who are real clever and real crafty, and they'll be like, hey, look, see this verse and this verse. These were written by two different authors. They were put together by Constantine and 325, mm. you know, whatever. You know, we've, we've debunked this multiple times, but this idea that the scriptures are just kind of tossed together and they're contradictory, just read one paragraph. And it looks like the word fear is being used here and the word fear is being used there. It says, fear him and then fear not, therefore. Well, do you think Matthew is trying to contradict himself in one paragraph? He hasn't even thought like through three it. three verses like in later? three verses later, it was like, oh, you know, uh, you know, yeah, to- fear God. Well, you know, on second thought, maybe, maybe don't fear God. You know, like, like, <laughs> like it's not like he, he's, he's using well, this the, with a completely different intention. And if you have this idea of fearing God and you're trying to read it into the text to prove contradictions, you're going to come to a whole mess of problems. Yeah. If, you, if you look at the authorial intent of the text in context of the passage, it's going to bring a lot of fruitful reading and understanding to your own personal Bible study. Right. But, you know, here's one example of how I think allergic we are to even talking about the fear of God. Now, I actually, I like N.T. Wright a lot. I'm, I mean, I don't share his same theology. He's not always into wrong. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think he has a lot of really value. Like his book on the resurrection is bomb, dude. Oh, it's so good. Unprecedented, um, unparalleled. So, New perspective. But you know what he says about this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what he says about this verse that don't, you know, don't fear man who has, who can only kill you, your body, but fear, uh, fear him who can cast your body and soul into hell. He asks the question, who is him that cast your body and soul into mm. hell? And you know what he says. I'll read it to you. Some have seen the one who can cast into Gehenna as Yahweh, but this is unrealistic. What we have here is a redefinition of the battle in terms of identification of the real enemy. The one who can kill the body is the imagined enemy, Rome. Who then is the real enemy? Surely not Israel's own God. The real enemy is the accuser, Satan. In other words, Satan is the one that can cast your body and soul into hell. And, And so... To me, what this looks like is an aversion to the fear of God and, or sovereignty. An, Im- and an importation into the text of something that actually um, makes it really weird because yeah. then it then it seems to be suggesting that we should fear the devil, which goes against the whole teaching of the New Testament, right? Right. Uh, I mean, it, Jesus himself will say in Luke ten nineteen. Uh, to the disciples will say, listen, you guys have power to tread over serpents and scorpions, and uh, you have all power over uh, over the devil. Now, he's not saying do not fear in that context, but he's implying it. That's his whole point is like, you have authority. You don't, you don't even need to worry about that. And the, and the theme of the whole New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2 talks about not fearing the devil. First John 4 
uh, says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. To say that we should fear the devil seems like a really strange thing for this text to mean, besides the fact that it seems to put Satan in the position of being the final judge of mankind instead of God. Solid bummer. So, solid bummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I want to come back to this because we've said this a few times about how the word fear for biblical authors has a broader range of meaning mm-hmm. than what we typically think of. Uh, I'm, I want to share with you guys a few verses from the Old Testament about the fear of God, because as we've been talking about fear of judgment, fear of judgment, that that's not exclusively how they thought of it. And so uh, here's Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen. Okay, uh, it says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, uh, but whoever... Well, that's not the right... I wrote down the wrong verse... Um, okay. Psalm 134. We'll go with this one. Uh, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now just think about that. How terrified are you, are you of a forgiving and merciful God? Right? Like, yeah. Wouldn't you be afraid of him if he was about to smite you? It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. <laughs> <laughs> right. But a merciful God? A merciful God. He doesn't but, preach the same. But here, for whatever mercy reason. and forgiveness actually lead us to want to fear. Okay? Mm. Uh, and maybe I did include uh, intend Proverbs 28, 14. I mean, blessed, uh, that it's kind of like happy or joy-filled is the one who fears the Lord always. Yeah. Um, maybe that's why I wrote that down. But uh, here, uh, the, the point being that you're not in this state of, like, panic. It's actually a blessed experience. Um, Isaiah 11.3, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, etc. And it goes on, but the point is that his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Again, fear not meaning panic in this scenario. Agreed. So uh, it has a broader meaning. We're going to be narrowing it further and further and further down. We've clarified there are uh, there's a, a, a right kind of fear of the Lord. There's a wrong kind of, of the fear of the Lord. Uh, and we said that once you fear the Lord, you no longer need to fear his judgment anymore. That's okay? right. So uh, so what's next for us, Josh? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's important that we kind of tie a bow on that one, even in saying, should Christians fear judgment? Right. If you if you have faith in Christ, you've repented of your sin. You should not fear judgment. Mm-hmm. Right. But is the fear of the Lord right. exclusively the fear of judgment? No. Right. Um, is yeah, it tied? A- is it is it tied to? Is it an entry point into the kingdom? Certainly. But once you've made peace with God, there's no fear of judgment. Yeah, so, so it's a- important to say the fear of the Lord is not fear of judgment. Those are yeah, two different things. I think that's a good clarification. And um and I tend to distinguish between judgment and fatherly discipline. Okay. Right. Because. You know, as a believer, one of the reasons I want to not commit sin is because I feel afraid of my father's discipline. You had I a really good do. dad. I well, yes, even as a son growing up, like I I didn't want to mess with that. Like if my mom was like, I'm going to tell your dad about this. I was like, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and honestly, a child should react that way. Yeah. And if the child's like, yeah, I don't care. Dad ain't going to do nothing. That's not healthy. Okay, so, um, and uh, coming back to Exodus twenty twenty, the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. Mm-hmm. I think that's where that's getting at, is uh, that once you've had this ins- just awe-filled, inspiring encounter with God, you have this fear of God, it makes you not want to get on his bad side. Not because I'm afraid God will cast my soul into hell, but Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And sometimes when I 
Um, you know, when I hear Christians talk about um, certain sins lightly, sexual sins lightly, fornication, like it's no big deal, or couples just moving in with each other, or, uh, it, you know, just things like that, where our whole culture has viewed sin as not as big of a deal, and it's that same attitude seeps into right. the church. I, I mean, the, it comes into my mind, uh, oh, maybe I'm being judgmental, I'm probably judgmental, but have have you no fear of God? No <laughs> but doubt. But seriously. Yeah. No, and, and so so that there that's just a further clarification point because it's like, should we fear eternal judgment? And you're saying, no, we shouldn't fear eternal judgment. But should we fear a form of uh, uh, fatherly discipline? So if you're playing with sin, if you have no fear, like Ananias and Sapphira, right, who went and lied. And great fear came upon the whole church. It would have done them well to have a little extra fear. They might have made it a couple more weeks or something. You know what right. I mean? Like, it would have been a good thing to have feared God and and not just lied. Oh, God's good. He's merciful, right? Yeah. He's just, he's just going to forgive me. Because but, the op- that would be presumption. Yeah, it would have been presumption. It would be presumptuous to think, oh, well, um, this adulterous relationship, or if I look at this pornographic material, or if I just, you know, God's merciful and he'll just get over it or he'll be fine with it. He'll just forgive me. I, I think it's presumptuous. We had a friend uh, tell me a story of a pastor that he knew who was leaving his pastoral office to get a divorce with his wife. Um, mm. And it wasn't, it's not like he, he swears up and down. It wasn't because he has a, a, a side chick on the side or anything like that. Uh, but he's just done. He just doesn't want to do it anymore. Oh. And And the response was, God will forgive me. And it's like, this does not display That's any not fear, fear of God. God. At all. And then you have to question, is this guy a brother? Like, this guy is willfully breaking the commands of God, just thinking, ah, God's going to forgive me. That dude needs the fear of the Lord. Yeah, and that does touch on the, the perseverance element of it, too. That's right, yeah. where Where it's kind of like, and, and Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where, um, you know, the guy's sleeping with, it seems like, his stepmom, and uh, refers to him as a so-called brother. <laughs> and it's like, is he a brother or is he not? It's like he can't pronounce, you know, he can't pronounce that from a distance or, you know, he tells Timothy, the Lord knows those who are his. We, we don't always know the wheat from the tares. Um, but the the point is uh, you, you can't always know. Yeah. So, um, What's the stuff from Luther you've gotten here? Yeah, the stuff from I like Luther. how Luther always coramundo, coramdeo. You love right? Luther, bro. bro. He's got distinctions that are helpful. Yeah. So uh, Luther distinguishes between servile fear of God, because he had the same question as fear of God, servile fear and filial fear. And servile fear would be like fear of a torturer, fear of a jailer. And honestly, this would characterize, if you ever read much of Luther before his conversion, this was basically how he viewed God. Uh, And he talks about, when I would read about the righteousness of God, I hated God. I despised him because I just thought God would smite me at all times. That would be servile fear. But filial fear, filial sonship, it's a Latin word, uh, but it's like that of a son for a father. The latter is a fear of offending one we love dearly. No, and that's good. That like, There's like a, there's tons of husbands who would explain, oh, oh no. I'm like, what happened? Like, you look really afraid. I forgot to put the stuff in the washer and the dryer. My wife told me to an hour and a half ago. You know, like that. You know, it's not like you're afraid she's going to come home and beat you with a two by four. Okay. <laughs> it's, you're just like, oh no, I'm hopefully. disappointed in my wife. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. If, if, if you are, get out. Um, go talk to a pastor. Okay. okay um, so, so now let's, um, so yes, it does yeah. involve fear of fatherly discipline. 
But now let's shift gears and let's come back to the reverence thing. Because we started at the top right. of the episode. We talked about a couple of translations that uh, they translate fear as reverence. I don't think either of us would say that the fear of the Lord is the opposite of reverence. <laughs> right. We we wouldn't say that it's not reverence. But, but is it reverence? Like, could we positively say there's a one-to-one correlation? The fear of the Lord is reverence of the Lord. That's apples to apples exactly the same. I think it's hard to define. I think when you use the whole corpus of scripture and you look at it as a whole, I think reverence kind of falls short. I'm not sure that there's another word that's like way better than reverence, uh, but I do think it, it falls short in some areas. Um, there, there's a parallel uh, in Proverbs 24, 21. Uh, my son, fear the Lord and the king uh, and, and uh, do not join with those uh, who do otherwise, right? So there's this kind of parable of, of, hey, do the wise thing, fear God and fear the king. And people who rebel against God and rebel against the king, you shouldn't follow them. That's not a wise thing to do there in Proverbs. Um, and, and that kind of shows you that there is, in some sense, a similarity to fearing God right. and fearing the king. But in another sense, I think that it's different. In, in Luke uh, 12, 11, uh, we see, the, hey, you're going to be brought before synagogue rulers, and you're going to be brought b- before the rulers of your day. Don't don't worry about the words. They'll be given to you in that hour, right? So we shouldn't worry people that are going to be in opposition to us. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, 17, there's a distinguishing between Fearing the God, fearing God, and honoring the King. In First uh, Peter chapter two, verse seventeen, he says, "Honor all men, uh, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King." Mm-hmm. And he seems to separate those into two separate categories, as if they are different in some way. We fear God, we honor the King. We don't fear the King the same way right. that we fear God. He seems to be making a distinction there. Right. So I, I think we would say fearing the Lord and the reverence of the Lord are really, really similar, In many but ways. they're not exactly the same. Yes. The fear of the Lord always includes reverence, but reverence doesn't go far enough to communicate what the fear of the Lord is. That, very well said. Okay. I like that. And so in what way does it not go far enough? Here's what I think I would, uh, I would include. The experience of the ineffable. Yeah. The awe of God. I think that has to be included. Yeah, there there are tons of stories in the scriptures where even angels come to uh, servants, and the angels are always like, "Hey, get up, get up, get up! You know, don't don't fear. You know, that don't don't fear me, right?" And there's something about their awe, the glory by which they they have appeared, that causes men to fall on their face, mm-hmm. right? That's just the angels. And by the way, they're in heaven on their faces before the throne, right? The seraphim yeah. are crying to one another in Isaiah six. Um, the word, I, I like to use the word weird because that's what the word holy means. It's just a reverent word for weird. They're covering themselves and they're going like, I'm seeing something weird over here. The other seraphim's like, I'm seeing something weird over here too. And they're yelling to one another about God's Dude, don't you love that with the seraphim covering their eyes? Well, like, they're, they're, I can't look upon. They're like covered with eyes, aren't they? Like yeah. their body is just a giant eye. And, and they, they're like got all these wings and like they look like a freak of nature. And they are the ones proclaiming how different God is. Like, it's the weirdest thing. that God literally created the most, like, he created the platypus just to say, you know what? God's weird. Like, it's a, it's like the weirdest creature that could have been created to proclaim his otherness. Um, that's what the angels are doing. And then mm-hmm. every time, every time anyone gets anywhere near God, they fall on their face 
and they cry out in fear. I mean, Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, uh, Peter, James, and John fall on their face when, when he shows up. And some of it is voluntary and some of it seems involuntary. Like the glory of God is just so weighty and and tremendous that they can't maintain yeah, so I think vertical we, form. Right. So which is something that we can't just have for a king or a president. No. Like there there's no like trembling, like, oh my gosh, you're so other. I mean, maybe like a a billionth of a percent, right? Yeah. The, like uh, because I, I can imagine somebody, you know, being star starstruck in the presence of a king or like, wow, that king is so split, you know, like uh, the Queen of Sheba before Solomon. Like there was that, wow, you know, he, you're, you're wiser than even I was than ever even I realized. And so I think there can be like a teeny, teeny bit, but it is nothing compared to what people experience in the scripture where what, what they experience in God is transcendent. That's right. And so uh, a couple examples, uh, Genesis 28, this is where, where Jacob has a vision, the dream of, uh, of Jacob's ladder. And so uh, in contrast to, to Babel, where men tried to ascend to heaven, God uh, comes down to Jacob. And, uh, and Jacob in uh, Genesis uh, 28, 16 to 17, it says, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And by the way, I just love that verse. Like, how many times is the Lord just there? You don't even know it. You don't even know. And uh, and verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. So so he's afraid, but then he praises God. And then he marks it with his, you know, and uh, and and makes a memorial there. But, uh, but he says, how awesome is this place? So... The, the awesomeness of the place and connection with the uh, fear that he felt and the presence of God, all of that goes together. It's a fear and awe, uh, a sense of awe at the presence of God. Yeah, and I like when you talk about an experiential, like, revelation of of God's ineffable nature, the part of God that we can't explain or express, words fall short. All of these people like Isaiah and Ezekiel and John, they use like language all over the place. People who are in the book club are familiar with where I'm going with this. Like they couldn't say God is fire. He's like fire. It wasn't the sound of rushing waters. It was a sound like rushing waters. It wasn't, you know, an emerald sea. It was like emerald. Like they, they, you know, they keep falling short of words because it's transcendent and beyond them. And, and, I don't mean to say that if you haven't experienced, you know, earth-shattering sound from God, you don't have the fear of the Lord. Uh, but I do want to push back against this idea that the fear of the Lord is a is a, a doctrinal piece of intellect that I place inside of my brain. I categorize and I go, okay, great. I revere God. Let's move on. There needs to be a let's take off our shoes, we reverence God sort of posture to the mm-hmm. fear of the Lord. And it's it's not something that's thought. It's not something that's cataloged. It is something that is lived out. You live your light in the fear of the Lord or you don't. Yeah. Um, it's not something like Jacob walks with a limp because he wrestled God. Like yeah. something about his walk changes an, from ever. Yeah, in Genesis 28, he had an experience with God that filled him with awe. That's right. And I was asking myself the, this question earlier because in the Proverbs, it's just kind of like, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. And is it really telling us go have an experience with God? Because if I could manufacture that, I'd oh, just go have an experience sure. with God. Oh, for sure. So let's go check I, out Kat I think that when we talk about the fear of God, we have to 
I think there's an experiential element that is undeniable. Yeah. Like, I do think that at some point we need to have some experiences with God. I, I mean, how can you have a relationship with God if you have no experience of him? I really don't think you can. Um, and so I think the experiential element has to be there because that's what puts the awe inside of you. But I think in the day-to-day course of it, and that's that Proverbs 28, 14, blesses the man who fears the Lord all day long, that that it's an experience that leads to a disposition. So that the fear of God itself is a general disposition mm. that I can have at all times in my life, but it's a disposition that's reinforced by experiencing the awesomeness of God. Yeah, there is a passage um, that, so in uh, uh, Solomon, so King David has passed over the kingdom to Solomon, and Solomon is ruling the kingdom. He has these encounters with the Lord, and there's a there's a time where he displeases the Lord, and it rec- it records because and, and and the Lord was angry because he had revealed himself X amount of times to Solomon, and he turned away. Like mm. it, it wasn't just that he walked after other gods; it was that he walked after other gods after, after having that. tasted and seen. Mm. Right, like it is to your point, experiential. And I want to also clarify and and just kind of create boundaries here. When we say experiencing God, it doesn't mean my experience of God or Michael's experience of God. It's not tongues. It's not prophecy. It's not dreams and visions. Mm-hmm. It it literally is you and God. God is real, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. God encounters. And has friendships and relationships with his people. Mm-hmm. So so defining that as loosely and broadly as we can, want to say there's a very large tent here of experiencing God. Um, but the goal is that that it drives you to something. Mm-hmm. So I want to be careful in saying, you know, I think I like Ravenhill, the pushback that Ravenhill gave to my tradition. You know, when I was raised in an Assemblies of God church, you know, the idea was you don't get the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Ravenhill is like, hey, uh, you don't have the Holy Spirit until you start manifesting holiness, right? Um, uh, so so this idea <laughs> is like, it really pushes back against this kind of framework of what does the fear of the Lord look like? Well, it needs to be an experience. Well, how do I know if I've had that experience or not? Your life bears the fruit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, even having an, an authentic regeneration experience can be a sufficient experience to live in the light of that fear. So I want to, I've, I've, I've told some stories on remnant radio that are pretty grandiose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want people to think that their fear of the Lord is contextualized by my experience with God or your experience mm-hmm. with God. It's a very broad thing when we're speaking of experiencing. Yeah, God. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, a couple more verses that just uh, speak to this uh, sort of, awe that we're talking about, okay? So uh, Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So you see the parallelism between fear the Lord and stand in awe of him. That's Psalm 33. Uh, A couple of New Testament examples. Here's, I love these. Uh, Mark 4, 41, Jesus calms the storm and then the disciples are terrified. (laughs) <laughs> but here's one Got I actually, it backwards fellas yeah no, but here's the one I actually love even more uh, I'll, and I'll quote it Mark uh, 5.15 this is the demoniac the, uh, the one Legion was cast out of so so dude is naked living in a tomb oh I love this one breaking yeah. chains off okay and people are like eh whatever 
you know. Let's put him in the cemetery next to Uncle Phil. (laughs) Yeah. Then Jesus comes, casts a bunch of demons into 2,000 pigs, rush off the bank into the water, and then they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I'm like, what? You're afraid after the Incredible Hulk like became normal? What's the Incredible Hulk's normal guy name? Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner. I'm a nerd. I know things. <laughs> Thank you. I knew you would know. That's actually, <laughs> I knew you were a nerd. So yeah, Excellent. <laughs> anyway, but you're afraid afterward. But that's the point. It's, yeah. it's awe that you're standing in the presence of one that powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when we talk about, is it reverence? Yes, it is reverence, but don't think reverence in the same terms of reverence as like, I revere um, Tom Brady. Tom He's Brady, a great quarterback. I revere Beyonce. I revere. I'm trying to think of famous people here. Uh, Tesla. Who did the Tesla? Uh, uh, Elon. Elon Musk. Like wh- whether it be science, musical prowess, or military uh, 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 greatness, none of these things really articulate well the kind of reverence we should have of God. It's a chief and supreme reverence that that really is experiential and our life is lived through you you just beyonce doesn't walk into the room and everyone fall on their faces dead men right i mean because at the at the end of the day beyonce is still just a person that's right and uh and anyone you name is still just a person hashtag cancel Uh, culture yeah but (laughs) (laughs) you just said beyonce is just a person and now it's over (laughs) but the, the thing god is transcendent I mean, he is like us, but he is unlike us. Yeah. And, uh, and and I would it's more accurate to say we are like him. He made us in his image. Uh, but he is also so entirely other. And it's that transcendence that, atta- that the reverence is attached to. It's one thing to reverence Beyonce for her musical talent. But a lot of people have tremendous musical talent, okay? There is only one Yahweh. That's right. There is no one like him. And when your reverence is attached to his transcendence, you're touching upon the fear of the Lord. Bro, that reverence touched to transcendent, transcendence, that's the fear of the Lord. I, I literally had this experience on Sunday. It kinda, it's going to change us a, a little bit. This pastor, this church I was visiting, nailed this sermon. And he mentions for the first time in human history, the child that is born, the mother looks like the child, and the child does not look like the mother. And I was huh. just like, like like this this moment of like she's created in his image not the other way around like that kind of awe of like whoa that's the first time that's ever happened huh. like in th- those moments of preachers God, write it down come on preachers get it get it into the pulpit you got sunday's <laughs> you, coming you know he got, got christmas at, sunday's coming he got that at sermonlines.com dude probably Sherm- <laughs> sermonspice.com <laughs> there you go um, um so i i mentioned at the top of the show that we were going to talk about the numinous okay so oh, yeah uh, this was a word first used by Lutheran theologian Rudolf Otto. I like how much, like, like how you're hollering at my Lutheran voice. Dude. It's kind of, I'm kind of feeling it. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. I thought about you. So, um, so, he, so he was the one who first kind of coined the term, and, and he used it to try to depict this uh, awe that mm-hmm. goes with, at, at God's transcendence and the fear of God. Uh, C.S. Lewis picked up on it. Here is what C.S. Lewis had to say. Uh, he says, those who have met this term, numinous, may be introduced to it by the following device. So he's going to give a little illustration. Suppose you were told there was a tiger in the next room. You would know that you were in danger and would probably feel fear. But if you were told there is a ghost in the next room and believed it, you would feel indeed what is often called fear, 
but of a different kind. It would not be based on the knowledge of danger, for no one is primarily afraid of what a ghost may do to him, but of the mere fact that it is a ghost. It is uncanny rather than dangerous, and the special kind of fear it excites may be called Hmm. dread. With the uncanny, one has reached the fringes of the numinous. Now suppose that you were told simply there is a mighty spirit in the room and believed it. Your feelings would then be even less like the mere fear of danger, but the disturbance would be profound. You would feel wonder and a certain shrinking, a sense of inadequacy to to cope with such a visitation uh, and of prostration before it, an emotion which might be expressed in Shakespeare's words, under it my genius is rebuked. This feeling may be described as awe and the object which excites it as the numinous. Dude, CS, bro. I'm down. He's got it. Yeah. That was that was good. That's Fear of the Lord. Let's move on. Show over. Mic drop. No. Uh, uh, but but seriously, I think I think that's that's a that's a good articulation. When we when we kind of we go all the way around, it's not quite fear of judgment, but can be fear of discipline. It's not quite a fear in reverence, but it certainly is nothing less than reverence. And so it, you just kind of flesh out the things until you get to the ineffable, the ghost, mm-hmm. the 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 this otherness than you and by nature of its ontology of being so other is what baffles you. Yeah. I think that's Jay Jay Hamilton had is. a definition for it. If you can find Jay Hamilton in the chat. Sure. Uh fear of the Lord equals reverence and awe. Agree. Is that Jay Hamilton? Yeah. Equals reverence and awe? Would you agree? I think theological topics just take more time to define. Like I don't <laughs> disagree with anything there. But I think that it's we use b- many words when human words don't do it justice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if my if I ask my son who is Jesus, and he says the Son of God, I'm like, you are correct. But he's also like more than that as well. Like like that doesn't do it justice. You know, he's also God. He's and also the son God of man. and the and Son of Man and Yahweh, the, the Rock of Ages and the Cornerstone and and the Rose of Sharon and I mean like he, he literally can go on and on and on. You know, I think that's it's funny because as I I did a little research when I was doing a little bit of research for the show, all these there are all these like articles. What is the fear of the Lord? None of them defined it, dude. They're all yeah. they just wouldn't define it. <laughs> just duck and but, cover. <laughs> They talk around it, but I, I think this is why. But I, it, when you are talking about something transcendent, it's really hard to put it into an equation or right. a definition. But uh, I think reverence should be part of it. I think awe, the numinous, yeah. should be part of it. Um, I think, what, what else would you say should be part of it? I mean, you mentioned transcendence, like otherness, and that's within the numinous definition. Uh, but again, we spent an hour just kind of exp- unplacking these things. So yeah. I'm plaking? Is that a, yeah. a duck? But, but I'm plaking them. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you a dentist? I don't even know. The plaque off? <laughs> there you go. Very nice. <laughs> so, um, but I actually think just plain old fear should actually be part of it too. Yeah. Like fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. And, um, I, and to fear fatherly discipline. I think that uh, I think that's part of That is just a real fear. I would be afraid to like... Um, I, I don't even want to say like horrible sins is even as hypotheticals, but to let's just some hypothetical sin. I would be afraid to commit it, not be, just because it would destroy my family, ruin my career, and and all the things. I I would be afraid before the Lord right. to do that. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. So it 
It's we should never fear to draw near to God, but right. we should fear to stray from him. That's good. I like that. Yeah. It's it's the kind of fear that anchors you in the faith, right? And doesn't push you away. So again, fear in human terms, we think of, oh, I'm afraid of that coworker yeah. or I'm afraid of that boss or afraid of that family member and I'm going to avoid them and like not make eye contact with them because I'm freaking out. Like, I, yeah. But it's the kind of fear that keeps you near and doesn't push you away. Again, pushing back to that wife illustration, I'm afraid that I have dishonored our relationship. I'm fearful that I have not done what I said I would do, not fearful that she's going to come home and beat me with a two by four. Um, so I think there's like, there's a really nice medium there. So I don't disagree with anything Jay Hamilton said. I just think that it would be one of those things where I would want more in a mm-hmm. definition, probably more than 140 characters yeah. that YouTube will allow him. Frankly, right. Okay. So section. Dustin Neely, he says the demons fear and tremble, which is true. James chapter two. 100%. So what is different about the fear of the Lord that a Christian can have that a demon cannot have? Well, we said this earlier. It's the kind of fear that is so transcendent that we actually live our life through that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, the, it's this kind of awe that structures my life that I live through it. Um, I bring up Solomon again. Solomon, it was numbered how many times the Lord had come to him and then he had turned away, mm-hmm. right? It was it was the fact that he didn't channel his life through that experience, mm-hmm. through that encounter. Jacob walked different after he had wrestled through wrestled with the Lord. His life changed after that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a kind of awe, a kind of fear um, that is fear of judgment. Um, it, I think of um, true repentance, and sorrow in in second corinthians chapter seven there's like an authentic repentance that leads to eternal life mm-hmm. and there's another kind of repentance that leads to death um uh, in the king james bible it says that uh, judas repented of himself uh, most of it most versions will say he turned and did this event but it's literally the word repent um i think it's metanoia um but but it's the word repent and it says that judas rather than turning towards God, just changed his own actions. He just mm-hmm. he just turned. And, and having an experience of the fear of God that just causes us to turn in another direction isn't the kind of fear of the Lord that we're encouraging. We're tra- talking about a fear of the Lord that, that doesn't turn to another earthly source, but turns to God right. in, in repentance and faith. Right. Uh, I think it's Psalm 115. It says, you who fear the Lord, trust in God. And so it is expected that, and I think this is where you're going with it, because that speaks to the disposition toward the Lord. So there was an experience of the fear of the Lord, like, wow, I feared the Lord. I could recount stories where it's like the fear of God gripped me in a moment. But then there was a disposition of the fear of the Lord that we are to walk in always, Proverbs 28, 14. And, um, but that Psalm 115, uh, I think it was verse 11, uh, where, where it says, you who fear the Lord, trust in him. Uh, that speaks to the connection between fear and trust. A demon, uh, they might fear and tremble. Mm-hmm. They're fear and trembling of judgment, though, which for us as believers, according to First John four eighteen, we don't need to fear judgment because we mm-hmm. won't be judged. Our fear is of a different nature. Our fear is associated with trust. It should naturally lead to trust, something that demons are never going to do. Yeah, it, anyone who's had experiences like that, anyone who, like, you, you, you've you experience because you can't you can't i don't know it, it's it, it's touched the untouchable right like that we talked about ineffable unexplainable that that whole idea it, it's such a it can be such a surreal and profound experience that even the thought of the experience can take you back to the moment mm-hmm. right like where it's like 
you have that earth shattering moment and when you think about it it kind of it kind of brings the chills on and the tears start like watering up and you're like oh you know like it, it, it it's it's the, it's demons don't have that when they think of his power they fear the knowledge of the eternal judgment uh-huh. it's not like this heart strangely warmed that like just draws me back to christ and it's like oh yeah he is so much more real than anything I've ever experienced right. before. Like it's a, there's something, yeah, there's he, connective tissue to it. There, and there's something about the fear of the Lord, even though fear and terror and dread might even be sometimes appropriate words. I, I, I love uh, how he's called the, how God is called the fear of Isaac or the dread of Isaac in Genesis. I mean, that can, that can be an appropriate term for it. I, I think of uh, storm chasers. Like, yeah. like, the, the fact that they it's like they want to get as close to that immense storm mm-hmm. as they possibly can they want to feel the heart doing this and they just the exhilaration of it what is that i or why do people do any of the crazy things that they do and uh you know whether whether they're, they're bungee jumping bungee jumping whatever it is and um so you're like, that's not that crazy. I do that. But anyway, the, the point is, why do we do these things? I think there's something in us that actually wants to feel fear. Mm. That just, uh, And I think that what we've done in the Western church is we've largely taken this out of it. We just want to make people feel comfortable. And, and that sense of the numinous, the holy, the awe is just completely gone. So, so that when we turn God into just the grandfather in the sky or the care bear, what we're also missing is, is the sense of the numinous, that holy dread that makes our heart palpitate. Yeah, I, for, I mean, for whatever it's worth, I mean, those moments are, they're just, they're life shaping, they're life changing. Um, and I, I mean, I just encourage people, go pursue the Lord, seek God, ask him, you know, for those kinds of experiences, those kinds of encounters. Um, because I, I, you know, the, the thought that comes to mind is uh, doing stall maneuvers, when I was in ROTC, we were a program called Civil Air Patrol. It's very similar to ROTC, mm-hmm. um, but it was the Air Force. And we would do stall maneuvers at, I think, 14,000 feet or whatever. Um, and it cured me of roller coasters, right? Mm-hmm. So realizing the engine has shut off and I have to turn the engine back on, right? Mm-hmm. While free falling to the earth, Ooh. right? And I've <laughs> got to get the engine back on to get oxygen back in this thing so that I can fly it and not die. And that was practice, right? Like, uh-huh. like that was, we did that on purpose. Um, I started riding roller coasters after that because that has a track, you know, <laughs> you're going to get caught. Um, so, so it's a, 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 a awe and a fear that's like, I never want to do that again. But there's also this kind of attached adrenaline to it that was like, I felt alive in a way that I have never felt alive before. Mm-hmm. That's the only experience that I have that's similar to the kinds of experiences that I've had with God, which is like, man, just to be in that moment one, for one more second, with, like, what would I give up? Like, I would give up so much. But at the same time, if I could never experience that, what would I give to never experience that? Because it was so terrifying that mm-hmm. it's like, um, it's it's kind of hard to, to live in that space of... Um, I never want to do that again, and I would give anything to do that again. You know what I mean? Like it's just—it's kind of Which impossible to explain. Which actually agrees with the fear 
and fear not. It's, yeah. it's kind of like, ah. <laughs> it's, yes. It's a it's, world of paradox. In the Remnant Radio world, we like to live in a world of mystery. <laughs> yeah. Dude, here is one of my favorite quotes on the fear of God by a dude named Mikey Iaconelli. He's like an okay. uh, old youth pastor. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But uh, here's what he says. He says, I would like to suggest that the church become a place of terror again, a place where God continually has to tell us fear not. A place where our relationship with God is not a simple belief or a doctrine or theology. It is God's burning presence in our lives. I'm suggesting that the tame God of relevance be replaced by the God whose very presence shadows, shatters our egos into dust, burns our sin into ashes, and strips us naked to reveal the real person within. The church needs to become a gloriously dangerous place where nothing is safe in God's presence except us. Nothing, including our plans, our agendas, our priorities, politics, money, security, comfort, our possessions, or needs. I just, I just like that because I just think it, uh, it speaks to the fact. I mean, imagine being part of the early church and you, you attend the Sunday after Ananias and Sapphira drop dead. Rough. <laughs> What's gonna happen this week? I'm bringing my tithe. I'm bringing the whole thing. <laughs> oh, bro! <laughs> like fear the Lord, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm not even sure I believe in tithe, but I'm giving it this week. Jesus, <laughs> <Like, laughs> <geez, Louise. laughs> oh, I'm just not gonna lie about it. That's for sure. Yeah, so anyway, I'm just saying. It's uh, I I just think that that sense of awe at God's presence. Bro, I'd be selling your stuff. I'd church. come to church and be like, I sold Michael's stuff, and I'm coming to church to give it. Not only that. I take care of my stuff. I took care of his. That, that dude was holding on. You know? Oh my goodness. Okay. All right, guys. So there's the fear, of, fear of the Lord for you. So um, yeah, yeah. That that that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed yeah. this episode. Subscribe. Tomorrow we're re- releasing uh, a content with Dr. Craig Keener, uh, Mark chapter one. You won't want to miss that. That'll be premiering tomorrow uh, from four to so five. Good. Guys, it it ramps up. The intro it'll, is good. It'll tear but you the, up. They keep getting better. I promise. They're so good. Um, uh, accompanying packages with that. You can go check that out. We're entirely crowdfunded. Links in the description to support us. Uh, please subscribe, like this video, share it around if you think it's been a blessing to you uh, and it's impacted your Christian walk. Uh, uh, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. Uh, we produce content every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Got a lot of exciting projects in the work. A uh, couple of really good books, hopefully, that come with some really good authors. We'll be announcing that here pretty soon. Uh, of, of future interviews that are coming up. Uh, we have an interview next Monday with Gordon T. Uh, Smith, Smith, who wrote Evangelical, Sacramental, Pentecostal. I've been kind of bragging about this book for a while. It's a good book. Uh, you guys check it out. Anyway, we'll see you next Wednesday? Tomorrow? Wednesday? Wednesday. We'll see you Wednesday. Well, Blessings. We'll see you live Wednesday, Tuesday pre-recorded. What he said. We'll see you. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.